Warning, you are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in flames, yeah. We up in flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We up in flames, we up in flames, we up in flames, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 we up in flames, yeah, yeah, uh, we up in flames, hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames, yeah, uh, we up in, uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames, yeah, woo. We up in, uh, yeah, we up in flames, we up in flames. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Up in Flames. This is kind of our college football week one preview. Week zero happened. Uh, but before we get into any of that, we're going to talk about one game on week zero. Uh, Walker already knows what it is, and that's leading into who my guest is. Guest of the show on plenty of occasions, football, basketball, it doesn't matter. A guy I can always rely on. If I ain't got nobody, I can, I got Walker. Walker, what's going on, bro? Not a whole lot, man. Just, you know, getting ready for week one. We're now kind of 24 hours away from the official start of week one and um, with a couple of good games tomorrow night. And then just Saturday, I mean, I, you know, we're going to drink and not move from the couch on Saturday, probably order food in and get after it. Yeah, we're on the same type of time because Saturday, um, my wife knows once Ohio State plays, but it's a night game. But there's some games I, I want to watch and we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, basically just drinking a little bit. Order some pizza and wings is pretty much what I do every year for opening uh, weekend for college football. Even though, you know, it's changed over the past few years where we have a week zero now. Uh, so I want to talk about that real quick. And I just want to talk about one game. And, and it's the Nebraska Northwestern game. Uh, in a sense of power five schools, those were the two power five schools that played each other uh, in week zero. And it was a good game. Like it, when you look at the overall, like they scored enough points. Uh, you know, there was some good plays from both quarterbacks, like both offenses did what they needed to do, but it looked like a point where Nebraska was going to kind of run away with it. They were up what, like 12, 13, uh, mm. in the third quarter. And it just seemed like all the calls were going their way. It seemed like everything was going Nebraska's way at home field advantage in Dublin, Ireland, which is almost crazy that pe Nebraska traveled well to Dublin, Ireland to the point it was a, a red stadium, basically. Northwestern had no advantage, and they lose. And that's one of the biggest storylines opening up college football because Scott Frost, with another loss, after leaving UCF, turned a program of UCF who was 0-12. People were wearing bags over their heads. Like, it was an embarrassing product, you know, and they had had some flashes of... of of uh, they had some flashes of, of success when they had Blake Bortles. You remember they won in the Fiesta Bowl that one year, like, and then they went 0 and 12. And it was like Scott Frost came, turned the program around, undefeated. They won their conference against a good Memphis team that one year. Uh, in what that game was when Scott Frost took the Nebraska job. Matter of fact, uh, it was reported he coached that uh, he coached that Peach Bowl against Auburn, but like, yeah, he did, did the whole thing. Job the Memphis game. Like yeah, before, he had he had agreed to it, and they were trying to keep it hush hush. And then he kept, and then he got asked about it. I think in the week leading up to the Peach Bowl, and like that was when he started like crying in the press conference because he already knew he he had taken it, but he didn't want to say it publicly because he wanted it like he wanted to finish the job. 
So. Yeah, because remember the report kind of came out during that Memphis game. Mm -hmm. It was like speculation yeah. that he was going to take the job and this and that. Because I remember he got asked about it after beating Memphis in the conference championship. He kind of tried to shut it down. Like, I'm focused on, you know, yeah. celebrating with the guys when in the conference, being undefeated, hopefully a New Year's Six appearance. And then they make the New Year's Six appearance and they beat Auburn. Remember, this is the UCF team that was claiming to be the national champions. Felt like they, they should have had a shot at playing in the college football playoffs. So, I mean, that was their national championship, though, for a school like UCF to go play, you know, a good Auburn team in the New Year's Six Bowl. Felt like they deserved a shot um, since then. We've seen Cincinnati, but that was their national championship. We are talking about a, a, a pretty small school who has flashes of success here and there. But essentially, they go and play a team like Auburn. They get blasted up. You didn't deserve to go, be in the playoffs. After beating Auburn, they claim themselves as national champions because they never got the opportunity. Scott Frost goes to Nebraska. It has not been good at all like he was supposed to turn nebraska back into the you know the 1970s and 80s product not winning a national championship or anything but turning the program around to like real relevancy especially ever since they've left the big 12 and moved to the big 10 they haven't been relevant really at all i mean bo Pelini was good right like like they when you look at his record it just wasn't enough and then you know in the era of young offensive minds you go and get Scott Frost. You get a young coach that can relate to this new generation, kind of the old school way of coaching. Uh, it's kind of a little bit out the window now. We want the new young guy that's relatable in his mid to late 30s, just now entering his 40s. And it's worked out in a lot of places. Like you look at Ryan Day being Urban Meyer's successor. Like it's worked out in a lot of places to the point where you're like, that seems like the new norm. That's the way to go. And then it just hasn't worked out. And then the expectation was that Nebraska was going to beat Northwestern. I mean, you remember you and me had a conversation prior. I said I was looking forward to that game. And you're like, Northwestern, from what you heard, was supposed to be bad. Like, like Pat Fitzgerald gets fired this year, possibly even midseason yeah. bad. Like, they were supposed to be a really bad team. Then you watch Northwestern, you're like, oh, well, they're not as bad as I expected. They, they're, they're still pretty good. Their quarterback is feasible. Having a feasible quarterback in college football isn't necessarily the answer to win games. Uh, you know, college is a little bit different than the NFL. You can make it far with a feasible quarterback if you got the right talent around you. But the defense wasn't expected to be what we're used to seeing from a Northwestern team. But at the end of the day, Nebraska lost. So when Nebraska lost, what was just your immediate reaction? Basically, just your thought on Scott Frost and his time left, if much time left at Nebraska. Well, I mean, for one, I was pissed. I mean, I wanted Nebraska to be good this year. Um and I mean, they're clearly not. If you watch that game, uh, like you may have like watched the skill players or whatever, but Nebraska lost that game on the line of scrimmage. I mean, for three fourths, maybe even more of that game, they were dominated on the line of scrimmage. But so we have to talk about the onside kick decision where Scott Frost decided after going up and taking the lead to try to get to try to recover an onside kick. And in hindsight, you kind of look at it and you go back and you're like, okay, like they had, you know, they had just taken the lead. They were starting to build. You thought they were claiming the game, but, you know, maybe Scott saw what I saw and realized, hey, we're getting dominated on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball, so we have to go and do this thing now or else they're going to eventually win the game because if you're winning the line of scrimmage the way Northwestern was, I mean, eventually something's going to break your way. Yeah. I thought I thought that where it was going to get away from Northwestern is, and I was sitting and watching the game, and Nebraska was a 13, 12, 13-point favorite. And so I sat and was Nebraska had just scored. And I was like, it feels like they're about to take over It Like, you know, it feels like Nebraska or Northwestern's about to have an untimely turnover and Nebraska is going to go score. And then 
this thing's going to be over. Mm-hmm. And the, literally the next play, Northwestern breaks off the long run and fumbles it, and Nebraska falls on it. And Nebraska doesn't do anything with it. Like, they ended up punt, punting the ball away and giving it back to Northwestern, um, who's still down one possession at that point. And then from that point on, Northwestern just kind of laid claim to the game and won the line of scrimmage. And so, you know, after Frost did the whole thing last week with his offensive linemen puking and all that stuff, um, it just feels like it's over. And, like, I think – and it was a good hire at the time. I mean, it was a Nebraska Nebraska guy coming back to Nebraska, had just gone undefeated with a group of five program and made him the premier group of five football program in the country at that point. It made all the sense in the world. I mean, offensive genius is proclaimed. And so that was, I mean, it was a great hire and it just hasn't worked. And so for Nebraska, I think now you have to pivot back the other direction and just try to find someone who can stabilize that program. A name I used the other night was Mark Stoops. You know, that's a guy who's built Kentucky into a prominent (laughs) SEC program that wins nine games a year and eight, nine games a year and can win 10 games. I mean, they, I mean, they were a couple a couple plays away from being like an SEC championship type team with Josh Allen and that and that def- and that defense a few years ago um, when they lost to Georgia and Lexington. But I think you need that type of guy to come in, use Nebraska's resources, and just restabilize it. When Nebraska fired Bo Pelini, and I used this on the show the other night, it almost felt like when Georgia fired Mark Richt. You know, you knew you were firing a really stable guy, but there's two heads to that coin he's either captured program and has made you into everything that you can be, or he's just, or there's another level and he just can't get to it. And I think with Nebraska, we actually saw that he had capped that program. I don't think Nebraska ceiling is what it was in the nineties. I don't think it's going to be a national championship program. I think if you're in Nebraska, what you want is a guy who can come in and just keep you in the mix every year. And then at some point you just hope he breaks through a few times and just gets you to a big 10 championship and, lets you play important games. And with Pelini, that was always a guarantee. You were going to play important football games in the regular season. So I think that's the route I'd go if I was Nebraska. I don't think Frost is getting fired like imminently. I mean, I think they're going to wait and save the $7 million by waiting until October 1st, just because why not? I mean, you're not going to hire someone in the middle of the season. I mean, if you as soon as you fire him, your season's lost anyway. So why, like why burn an extra $8 million just because you're pissed that he lost in Ireland? Um, I mean, hell, this actual regular season hasn't even te- – like, for most teams, it's not even really started yet, and we're already talking about firing Scott Frost. I mean, he got asked about it in the post-game press conference. He was like, yeah, like someone asked him, I think, how safe he felt at Nebraska. It's been one game. Like, I mean, it's yeah. just, that's that's a clear as, as clear of a sign as there can be that this era of Nebraska football is over. Um, I would try to hire someone who can come in and play – I hate to like stereotype, but a more traditional big 10 brand of football, you know, Mm -hmm. really, you know, focus on the trenches, play solid defense and see where that gets you. And then maybe, maybe return to the Polini stage of Nebraska football. And then we'll have to make, they'll have to make the same decision again. Is that enough for Nebraska or do they think it's a national championship program? And from everything I've seen, watching Nebraska football, you have to remember, like, I wasn't even born when Nebraska was winning the national championships. Yeah, me either. Like, it's not that it used to be. And so now it's, you, like, is it just a change? Like, is it just changed? Like, is that just not the ceiling of the program anymore? That's the decision that Nebraska has to make. 
if they can restabilize the program and get back to the Pelini, basically the decision as to whether or not to keep someone like a Mark Stoops or Bo Pelini. Um, so, I mean, we'll see. I do think Frost is done, though. And, I, you know, I think Nebraska's a better football team than they showed Saturday. I think they're going to – like, I, you know, I think Nebraska-Oklahoma when it's in Lincoln in a couple weeks is going to be a good football game. Like, I think Nebraska will be competitive. Um, I just – you know, I just don't think they're very good. And I, I think that they've proven – that with the right coach, you can win games there because they have enough talent to where they are essentially in every single game. They could have like, they could have beaten Ohio state last year and they didn't, but I mean, they're, I think like five and 21, five and 24 and one score games now. And so I think the talent is there where they're talented enough to be in every single game and have a chance to win, but they're not coached by the right staff to get them over the hump. So uh, to me, the one, the one score record thing is an indictment of frost. I, I just think that when it comes down to making those crucial decisions and winning those crucial moments of games, he's just incapable and he gets out coached by his opponents. Yeah, 100%. And then here, here's what you said that stuck out to me of everything that you said was go back to like a tradition, more traditional style of big 10 football. And I think that's kind of the problem with some of these big 10 teams, right? Is Everybody wants their team to be Ohio State. They don't want their team to be Wisconsin, right? Like, Wisconsin plays. They got the big offensive linemen. That's who they send to the league. They run the ball. You know, they got really good running backs, and they have a stabilized defense. And that's not the brand of football that everybody wants. They want the high-powered offense that Ohio State has. Like, you're chasing to be Ohio State in the Big Ten, not Wisconsin, because essentially what Wisconsin is is the team that more often than not probably wins their side of the Big Ten. Just to go on for what the past 10 years, Wisconsin wins that side more often than not just to go on to lose to Ohio State or they lose to a team that has the same identity, Northwestern or Iowa, and they go on to lose to Ohio State. Michigan last year was the example where they had a good offense. It still wasn't Ohio State's offense, but they dominated the trenches a little bit more traditional but a mix of like, you know, we we have those big play guys, but they were what? Three deep at running back, obviously had a two-headed monster. But that's not the style of football everybody wants to see because when you start looking at national powerhouses, it's five-star quarterbacks every year. It's Bryce Young at Alabama. It's C.J. Stroud, who wasn't even a five-star, but it's C.J. Stroud slinging the ball for 400-some yards. It's the Rose Bowl performance with Utah and Ohio State where that was just high-powered offense, hardly any defense, but that's what the new generation really wants to see. And so when you say go back to the more traditional style of Big Ten play, it's like be beefed up in the trenches and play Wisconsin style of football. And people have seen like Wisconsin hasn't made a playoff. You know, they've won what? One Big Ten championship recently? I don't even think they won, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. State but here's the thing with that, though. I'm just saying, I think yeah. in the Big Ten, everybody's chasing Ohio State instead of chasing Wisconsin where every year – they're ranked every year. They're playing in big games every year. They have an opportunity to be a one or two loss team entering the big 10 championship. They have an opportunity where if they could get over that hump and win the big 10 championship with one loss, maybe they get that respect and get that nod because it is the big 10. The only other conference that's going to get a bigger nod than the big 10. We all know when it comes to playoff committee is the sec. That's it. The sec is the only conference that we've seen have two teams. The big 10 has pretty much had a team. What every year, so yeah. outside of that, we haven't seen an ACC school in there every year. We haven't seen a Pac-12 school in there every year. So we know the Big Ten and SEC are the teams that get the nods all the time. So a one-loss Wisconsin Big Ten champ 
probably makes the playoffs, especially if they beat an Ohio State or beat a Michigan. But I think the problem is in the Big Ten, Ohio State is so nationally. Ohio State ain't chasing nobody in the Big Ten. They're chasing Alabama. They're chasing. They, they want to be with Alabama. They're basically chasing Alabama, essentially. Yeah. When you look at it, like Ohio State is playing to keep up with Alabama. And it seemed like they had that style of football to be able to play against a team like Alabama like last year. When, when they weren't in the trenches, I, I think Ohio State probably gets blown out by Alabama. But what I'm saying is they go for all those wide receivers, send them to the NFL, have all the prolific positions, but you looked ahead so much that you were, oh, we're just going to win the Big Ten. It's so common for us to go and win the Big Ten that a team like Michigan plays that traditional style of football deep in the trenches, and they just bully you around for a game, and you weren't thinking about that. Like, you were thinking of playing this prolific style of football, and Bama does a, a great job of both, but I still think, like, Saban has aged well because he knows how to get the dogs on the interior, but he also knows, like, I do need those five-star wide receivers. I do need four or five receivers, two to three running backs. I need a five-star quarterback. And so you've seen Saban change over the years and get those type of recruits. So I think when you look at Ohio State, they're chasing to be not just, oh, they beat anybody but the SEC. And then everybody else is trying to chase Ohio State instead of really like being a stable team who's always in that conversation like Wisconsin. I don't think they want to do that. I think, but I think though, if you're Nebraska, you have to like, this is what I was talking about with their athletic department has to evaluate the ceiling of their program because, you know, if the ceiling of your program is, you know, we're going to, compete for the division with Wisconsin and we're going to go 10 and two, nine and three, occasionally go 11 and one. And we're going to go to a bunch of Rose bowls. Like the question they have to answer for themselves and themselves is, is that good enough? Like, is that enough for us? And like, I mean, I think when they fired Pelini and really, I mean, not even then, but just, they haven't gotten to the point where they've had to answer that question yet, but I mean, at some point they will. And I think Nebraska right now believes that they are, they have enough resources and they have enough clout still to be a national championship year and year out contender. And I just don't think they do. I mean, I, I don't think they do. I mean, no kid that they're recruiting now has any idea who Tommy Frazier was and watched yeah. Nebraska win a national championship. I mean, matter of fact, they probably, I mean, they probably weren't even a concept yet. Like, I mean, it's been, I mean, these kids were born now, what, 10 years after Nebraska had won a national championship, maybe more. So yeah, you think I, about it, these kids have been born. They were born in what, 20? We're recruiting kids that were born in 2004 now. Like, I mean, so that's the thing. And, and Nebraska's got a, it's almost the same problem that Tennessee has run into, but Tennessee's at least had years. And yeah. it's almost the same problem Tennessee's run into. So, yeah, I mean, that's the question Nebraska has to ask themselves when they hire their next coach is, are we going to swing for the fences again and hire a guy that we think can win national championships here and win in all likelihood he can't? Or are they going to go and hire a guy like, hey, like we know exactly what this guy is going to do and he's already shown that he can do it. If Mark Stoops, and I keep saying his name just because I think he's going to be a big one in coaching circles, especially with Big Ten jobs, like maybe Kirk Ferentz retires and he goes to Iowa or Nebraska is going to open or whatever else. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal was that name last year. And like, I just think with that, do you hire a guy who's already done it at a lesser program? Like if Mark Stoops can go into the SEC East and compete with Georgia and Florida and make his team perennially right now, the second best team in the East in the SEC East, why couldn't he do it in the big 10? Yeah. In that division with Iowa and Wisconsin, like, 
with Nebraska's resources and fan base and fan support, like you're actually at a football school with facilities and all that stuff where Stoops has had to, you know, fight, scratch and claw to get that at Kentucky. Like, I mean, that type of, you know, that type of hire makes a lot more sense to me because you're taking a guy who has already built a program and understands that region of the country. I mean, he was born in Youngstown. He played at Iowa. Like he understands the big 10. He knows what it's all about. That's the type of guy you need to go and get. He's always recruited well. He's going to hire, he would hire a great staff. I just, I mean, you're basically saying, hey, like we know you can build a nine win program. We're going to give you more resources than any school has ever given you. Let's see if you can turn it into 10 and 11 instead of nine. And so, but Nebraska seems hell bent on winning 12. And I just don't think as long as Ohio State is in the – or, I mean, as long as they're playing Ohio State every year and now in conference expansion where you're going to have to play USC and even UCLA uh, along with Ohio State and, hell, even potentially Notre Dame at some point. Yeah. I mean, the idea of chasing 12 just doesn't seem to be a realistic one for Nebraska. When in 2010, maybe it seemed like that was possible. And I don't blame them for moving to the Big Ten. I don't think that's what caused it. Like, I just think it's – you know, I just think that when they started to slip, they didn't, you know, they didn't nip it in the bud there. They just kind of continued to slip. And once you slip for long enough, then you just kind of become irrelevant. Yeah. And that's kind of been the case <clears throat> um, with Nebraska. But let's turn it into our opening weekend, our real opening weekend. And I'm going to go to I'm not going to go to the first game played of all the games that that we there's three games on Saturday that the country cares about. But I've been getting a lot of flack for one of my predictions. So I'm going to go to that game. Utah versus Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's a tough ask, um, but this is where I say sometimes the SEC guys got to take a step back and, and be like, you know what? We're not sending our top product SEC team to play Utah. And I'm insane for thinking Utah could run the field uh, against this team. This is the Florida Gators we're talking about. This isn't a great team. We're not talking about, I mean, you just said it. This is a team who usually ran the S. We're used to them running the SEC East, playing against Bama, competing for national championships. Like, where this isn't 2007 no more. This isn't 2008. This is 2022. And we're talking about a Kentucky team that's probably better than Florida right now. Like, I didn't say, you know, Utah plays Bama. I think they got a chance. I didn't say Utah plays Georgia. And I think they got a chance. I'm talking about Utah goes into the swamp, goes from West Coast to East Coast, goes into the swamp and handles business. I don't think this is going to be much of a game. I'm not saying it's like when you say, like I, I say Utah handle business and smack Florida. I ain't saying they treat them like they're playing Vanderbilt. But what I'm saying is for, for the expectation of a Florida team, don't get me wrong. I mean, they have a quarterback that a lot of people are high on it, Anthony Richardson, right? So if you have an elite quarterback that some people would go in the conversation to call Anthony Richardson elite quarterback, I've seen some of these analysts say he's their you know, he's their Heisman hopeful. He's their underdog Heisman guy because we're going into the season talking about Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Smith Najigba, uh, Bijan Robinson, Will Anderson. Like, those are yeah. the names that are popping up everywhere. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, Caleb Williams. Like, those are the names that are getting all the attention. So, like, hey, don't forget about a guy like Anthony Richardson. Like, I think he can have an elite year in Florida. And so if you're thinking that, but then we're also hearing, like, it wasn't 100% sure that Anthony Richardson had the starting job locked up. Like, there, there's some that the former Ohio State transfer has an opportunity that if Anthony Richardson coughed one up, he could get some playing time. And I'm just saying, when you look at Utah, 
yes, the Pac-12 is weak, but this Utah team, I think they could play with anybody outside of probably the three best teams in the country, which is Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And we see how they played Ohio State last year, but both teams were missing players on both sides of the ball, key pieces, both teams. So, and it turned out to be a great game. But I think Utah could play with pretty much anybody. We say it's three teams and everybody else, but I think Utah might be the leader of that pack of the everybody else. Do, am I insane for thinking that Utah just goes out there and handles business? And it's a later game too. So it's 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 a six o'clock, it's a seven o'clock game Eastern, six Central, which puts it at a three o'clock game West Coast time. So we're not asking them to wake up and play. We're not asking them to get their bodies acclimated to playing an early game, and they're playing twelve Eastern, which would be nine a.m. West Coast. We're still talking about a mid afternoon game for a West Coast team, but it's a night game for an East Coast team, body wise, mentally, and all that. Do you think Utah should really have a problem going in there and handling business against Florida? You know, I go back and forth on this a lot, and I want to believe it the way you believe it, but I just keep circling back to the fact, like, it's still the swamp. Like, it's still the swamp. It's at night. They're bringing in a nationally ranked top consensus top five opponent to the swamp. We essentially have no idea what Florida has and what we're going to get because it's game one for Billy Napier. Like, we really have no earthly idea what they're going to bring to the table. And... So I go back and forth a lot because you mentioned Anthony Richardson. Like, they have talent there. Florida's not going to lack for overall talent. Like, I just – I really don't know. Like, I, I think Utah's the better football team. They're going to be the better team all year. That doesn't necessarily mean to me that they win week one. I think that if they're a playoff contender and a national title contender, like, I think they hope they are and, like, every, a lot of people hope they are then they'll go in there and win this game. And I don't know about handily, but any win in the swamp at night on the road is is a good win, especially going coast to coast. Like that's I mean that's as impressive a win as you can have in a non-conference slate. So, well not as impressive, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of I go back and forth a lot. I'll probably pick Utah to win the game. Uh, I think it is going to be a low scoring like grind it out type game though. Like I think the over under set at like 52, 53, I'm probably going to go under. And I think that we could see like a 27 to 20 uh, type of game where, you know, Utah imposes their will, but the game, they just can't, can't pull away. I mean, it's hard. I mean, going in there and blowing someone out in the swamp. I mean, we've seen a lot. I mean, hell we saw the corpse of Dan Mullen be competitive with Alabama for the real, for the longest time in the swamp, just yeah. I mean, just because Alabama had problems there. So, I mean, it's just always going to be such a hard place to play. And it's always going to be such an intense environment, one that you almost can't prepare for. And Utah is going to be traveling into the Southeast, having to deal with a lot of that hot, sticky humidity that you're going to get down in Florida that you have really no, you really don't experience at all in Utah. So, you know, do I think Utah wins the game? I think I do. Do I think it's going to be easy and is it's going to be a blowout? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, Florida's got enough talent to keep this game close, um, and they'll have the environment and the home field advantage to really keep it close and give them the chance to win the game. I, I mean, and I think Billy Napier is a really good football coach. You don't build Louisiana Lafayette into a like a group of five team that people are afraid to play unless unless you're pretty good at your job and he had a lot of opportunities to get out of there and he picked this job specifically like he could have left for four to five other sec jobs over the course of the last two to three years and he picked florida 
So I think, you know, I think that um, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's probably the best game of the weekend for me. Um, you know, I, I know Georgia, Oregon is big brand names, but Georgia's essentially playing a home game as a 17 and a half point favorite against a rebuilding Oregon program. So I like this is one I'm going to watch with great interest. I don't have a great feel for how it goes, but I think Utah wins. Yeah, I just don't like Florida either. Like I grew up in Florida. I'm Ohio State fan. Florida beat us in the national championship. I don't like Florida. Like I just don't. Yeah. I hate Florida. Uh, everything about them. I don't like the Gators. Yeah, yeah just, just being from there, but being it's true. Like you know, being from there, you know everything I said is true. Like you know that's an yeah, incredibly you, hard you, story. You didn't, yeah, and, and and you know I've been to get the, the atmosphere is crazy, right? Like like. One of the craziest atmospheres I've been to in Florida was actually Florida State, though. Like, with yeah. just I understand they haven't been that good of a team, but but when you go up to Tallahassee, you know what I'm saying, and, and they come out and, and everybody's throwing the arrows. Like, it, it's a crazy place to play at. It's an insane environment, but even still, I just don't like Florida, and I think I just think Utah handles business. I think, and I think they shut some. Because here's my thing, you know, you and me have had these SEC conversations all the time. You're an SEC guy. Deep in the middle of it, you know, you're an Ole Miss fan. You're, you're just deep in the middle of it. But here's my thing is, like, sometimes, like, the SEC could be really top-heavy, and I understand that they always have two to three teams who can win the national championship every year. Like, I, I won't argue that. But when it comes to, like, like I feel like Utah is being disrespected. Oh, they're in the Pac-12. We're, like, I, I feel like Florida's wearing the whole – Oh, because we're in the SEC, we're big brother already and having that confidence about themselves. I know it's a home game, so you should, but I feel like they're wearing the brand of the SEC and they're looking at, well, they're riding the coattails of how how good Alabama is every year, how good Georgia is right now. Like, oh, we're not expected to beat those teams. And then they always, well, if we were in the Big Ten, we would be playing Ohio State every year for that. And I don't think that's always the case. And I think in this instance, I think Utah is superiorly better then Florida, I, I don't look at them as a national contender. Well, I, I, if I, I think they make the playoffs. They're my fourth playoff team. So I think they can run the table in the Pac-12. So essentially, if I think you can make the playoffs, you have a shot at winning a national championship. Oh, I don't think if you put Utah on a field in a playoff scenario with Ohio State that it's just a lock that, like, or whoever I, your one seed is. I, I named Ohio State just because they're going to be one of them, you know, one of the three. But, like, I mean, against Alabama, Georgia, like, what's pick your favorite of the three. Like, I don't think that it's just a, like, set in stone, be like, oh, yeah, like, this game is not, not close. Especially like, the, the, all three of those teams will probably be double-digit favorites, too. Oh, absolutely. They definitely that. And so, so it's one of those, like, the expectation would be a blowout. Yeah, but like like we're seeing with this, and we'll move on to this one, like this Georgia-Oregon game, 17-and-a-half-point yeah. favorite. Um, I'm surprised. There's a lot of people high on Oregon that they could cover, right? Like, like yeah. that's where we're looking. We're looking at the point spread. They think they could cover. I think Georgia covers – I think they struggle early, and I don't mean struggle where, like, they're just playing absolutely horrible. I just think they take a minute. I think Oregon plays it close a little bit, and then just the talent of Georgia on both sides of the ball and, and where people get it wrong at. I know they are they got a new head coach, and they are part of a rebuilt new quarterback, right? But Oregon's got talent, though. Like, I think Oregon's receivers are better than Georgia's receivers. I think defensively, I'm taking Oregon's linebackers over Georgia's linebackers. The D-line is a close call. Like, like I said, People don't respect Pac Oregon because they're in the Pac-12, right? But when you look at their talent on the levels, I like Georgia secondary over Oregon secondary. Well, I'm, I'm taking Georgia in the trenches both ways too, probably. Yeah, and, and, and I'm with you, but I, I like – bro, they, they arguably have the best 
what, second or third best linebacker in the country in Justin Flo. Like, this dude could have played anywhere he wanted. Like, and he's shown on the – he could have played anywhere he wanted. He had offers from everywhere. He could be playing in the SEC for No, Florida. yeah, he absolutely could. And and I understand Oregon's talent level. My worry is because they – again, this is another cross-country because they're playing, like, it's a neutral site game in Atlanta. And yeah, that's not a neutral site. Like, Georgia's right. been and playing so, there every year in the SEC championship. Right. That is, so it's not Georgia. a neutral site. Yeah, and it's so – in Georgia, bro. Well, what, I, what I worry about is if Georgia, you know – physically imposes their will a little bit early and then you know the crowd gets into it and all that and it's 14 to nothing early like i just kind of worry about how oregon's going to respond because they don't really like when you go through these coaching changes oregon doesn't really have a culture now like i mean this guy's going to rebuild it his own way um yeah and going to rebuild it his own way and do things how he wants to do them like there's not just a ton of culture there. Like in the quarter and like, I have some Bo Nix concerns, like George is going to have advanced scouting reports on Bo Nix because they played Bo Nix three times. Like he played at Auburn and Auburn and Georgia play every single year. So, you know, I, I do just have concerns for Oregon as to how, you know, how they're able to score and how Georgia handles business. Like I do think they win. I think they cover in, it, it, it'll be the SEC could beat on their chest 100%. I'm just, I don't think they just come out the gate, just no. punch Oregon in the mouth and, and call it a game. And it's 35 to seven going into halftime. Like, I think it's one of those, like, Oregon responds early here and there, never take the lead, maybe never even tie it. It's 10 0, score a touchdown, they down 10 7, then it goes 17 to 7, they kick a field goal 17 to 10. Like, I could even see it going into halftime where it's 21 to 10. And it's like, okay, like, Oregon's probably not going to win this game. Georgia's kind of ran. They, they, it's been going their way the whole game, but they're only up 21 to 10. Maybe Oregon comes out, comes out of halftime, kicks a field goal. Boom, it's 21 to 13. Georgia responds. They get up 11, stay around that 11 to 13 range going through to three quarters. And then like, okay, Georgia finally, as they've started slowly imposing their will. And then like, they just have an explosive player to the fourth quarter where they take off and it is it, never close again. Like they cover. This is such a massive weekend for the PAC 12. I mean, two thirds of the class of their conference are coming down into the Southeast and like, and like, I'm not saying in order for it to be successful that Oregon has to win, but you really need Utah to go and win. And then you need Oregon to be competitive because there is the off chance that the USC thing this year just doesn't work. And so you really need these two teams to go. You need Utah to win. And honestly, you would really like them to win convincingly, but a win it suffices and you need Oregon to go in and, you know, go toe to toe for three quarters and lose a close game. If they win great, but I mean, nobody expects that. So I like, I just, you know, it's a really massive weekend for the Pac 12 amidst all of this conference expansion stuff. Because if you go and like Utah loses and then Georgia just buries Oregon, the Pac 12 conversation is over by like eight o'clock on week one. Like it's over. Like that's yeah, it. And it hurt. You know who else it hurts by, by eight o'clock? USC. Like USC. USC will get no respect for the rest of the year. Because you don't play anybody. Like at that point, you don't play anybody other than Notre Dame that's worth a damn. Because Utah is supposed to win it. Like, Utah is definitely supposed to be the team that, like, are you got Utah, you got Notre Dame, and then you got, like, even if Oregon loses convincingly to Georgia, but if if Oregon plays it the way I'm saying it goes, yes, they're going to, Georgia's going to cover and everything, but Oregon's going to have some respect that, like, well, they just played the, the third 
third best team in the country, but they just played one of the three national title contenders. Like if Georgia, if Georgia wins 31 17, then it's fine. Like Oregon's like, we played fine. Like we came out of there with a respectable, like, yeah. We and we played one of the national game. title contenders yeah. and Utah, and Utah, Utah wins 31 to 21 or 21 to or uh, 28 to 17 or something. You come out of there like, all right, we went to the swamp and won by 11. And then we took like, the reigning national champions and we really kind of competed and then it's like all right like you know one utah like that was impressive two oregon like i'm not gonna call it impressive but it's like it's respectable it's fine yeah you respect it and then you know that like even if they they're not gonna play another georgia on their schedule like yes utah is supposed to be really good in the pac-12 and so is usc but neither one of those teams i think are, are necessarily georgia so you you do respect like you there's respectable yeah. losses. There's such thing as when you go in and told you're not having a chance, you're 17 and a half point favorites, you feel a little disrespected, you cover, you played it close, you played it tight, they pulled away late. You know they're a team. Oregon's not gonna you can't admit they're a much better team, but the the, the rest of the world knows that Georgia's a much better team and they had a feasible loss, then it is respected. And talking about 17 and a half point favorites. Yeah, no, that's yeah, exactly that's right. And that's why I think that it's just it's a massive i mean by eight o'clock on saturday night the only team on the west coast that could be worth talking about could be byu that could be the only team left playing for anything for the rest of the season like and if things broke the wrong way for the pac-12 and byu is not a pac-12 team so that's yeah really bad for the pac-12 yeah that would be an indictment on Especially the pac-12 because you rejected them so many times as they tried to come into your conference like you really just don't want to become irrelevant saturday night the pac-12 like like they like there's going to be some sacrifices and like some prayers that leading up to Saturday that things just don't break the wrong way. Yeah. And you don't like you said, you don't want to become irrelevant week one. Like you don't yeah, want your yeah. whole conference to be shot. You need you need one. Utah USC to be a big game. You need Utah Oregon to be a big game. And if and if they lose these week one games like in a fashion like like if Utah loses at all and then if Oregon loses in a blowout. Like, will they be ranked games? Yes, but will anybody care? No. Like, it'll probably be a top 25 pack 12 after dark game where your ratings suck because everybody went to bed because it's an irrelevant game. Right. Yeah, so to move on, before we'll talk about Heisman candidates a little bit. Um, We'll we'll hit on that real quick, and then we'll hit on some players to watch uh, real quick. But we're going to talk about the game of all games because I'm the host of this show, and my team plays in the biggest game. Uh, yeah. of Saturday, uh, regardless of how you look at it, regardless of who you're willing to watch, this is a top five matchup. This, this is the top five matchup. This is Ohio State, number two. This is Notre Dame, number five. Or are they number six? No, they're number five. They're number yeah. five. And they put, I think they put them at number five for a reason, to make yeah. this the game of all games for opening weekend, prime time, uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Ohio State comes yeah. into this game, 17 and a half point favorites. Ohio State comes into this game, arguably the best offense in the country. Uh, Ohio State comes in a game with, I think we both can agree, at least the second best quarterback in the country, at least especially going into the season. Now we can project who has a huge year and maybe passes C.J. Stroud, but going into Saturday night, C.J. Stroud is at the very least the second best quarterback in the country. We have arguably the best wide receiver in the country. I'll say top three. Just because there's two other guys that I think you can make an argument for 100%. Um, they have a loaded wide receiver core. They have arguably a top three running back. Uh, 
the, the offensive line is supposed to be improved. They arguably have the best offensive lineman in the country. At least it's an argument. Paris Johnson Jr. I think a lot of people are waiting to watch him. I think a lot of NFL teams with young quarterbacks looking for that left tackle to protect their young quarterback. You know, looking for that offensive lineman investment is going to be watching heavy Paris Johnson Jr. film and watching him specifically. Those scouts there to watch that offensive lineman play. I think they're going to be focused on him on Saturday night. Then we talk about the addition of Jim Knowles. Ohio State didn't lack the talent defensively. I think they lacked the scheme last year. The defense wasn't that good, but when you look at the talent, you're like, okay, we did lose our starting safety, but you look at our secondary. Bro, by the end of the year, we had a damn good secondary. Like, by the end of the year, and most of our better players were freshmen or first-year starting sophomores, which is we were young, and then we weren't that big. Like, we, we weren't that big, and from what I'm hearing coming out of Ohio State is that we might not win trenches battles against a lot of teams, but that's not how Jim Knowles plays defense either. Jim Knowles plays a lot of, you know, a lot of speed out there. He puts a lot of DBs and linebackers and a lot of shifting and blitzing defensive backs and linebackers. He plays get to the quarterback quick and, and just have nothing but quickness out there. Might we, But we have some size. We got Jack Sawyer. We got Zach Harrison. Like, yes, I'm going down the list of players Ohio State have, but there's a lot of relevant players. There's a lot of expectations for some of these players. Ronnie Hickman is a big name. Uh, Notre Dame's quarterback ended up mentioned. Like, you know, when I watch guys, uh, JT Alalu uh, um, and Ronnie Hickman stood out more than anything to me. So when I'm looking at this, Ohio State talent-wise dominates Notre Dame. When you look at it from a talent perspective, they have a first-year head coach. Here's where I get concerned about this game. It's week one. There is no preseason. CJ Stroud hasn't thrown a meaningful snap since the Rose Bowl. And, and it, the spring game ain't a meaningful snap. Like, there is no preseason like there is NFL where we get guys to get to going under their feet. And just think about it. When it comes to the NFL, we'd be like, after about week three or week four, now the season's really underway. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I look at it like that, and I'm like, bro, it's week one. It's a huge game. The advantage that we have is it's in Columbus uh, on a Saturday night. I think that's going to be a hostile environment for a young quarterback. Um, and I just think the talent and the coaching is going to take reigns over everything but i am a little nervous because we're 17 and a half point favorites the expectation for ohio state is really to make it to the national championship some people think they win it some people think they get there and get buried by alabama some people think they get there and make it a competitive game and a great game in the national championship but ultimately lose to alabama but we're kind of the consensus team we're going to the playoffs and expected to go to the national championship so from an outsider looking in before because i laid out the the i laid out the line of this game i laid out the, the names that we expect to see from the Ohio State perspective of somebody with no real investment on this game on either team, either conference. Notre Dame doesn't have a conference, but the Big Ten as a whole. What are you, what, what you, when you're thinking to watch this game, we've had conversations, but, you know, you see things, you might sway you. To, to, from the conversations we've had, you don't think Notre Dame really has a chance. Do you I think, I think I'll be watching another game by halftime. You think, so, and this is where, I know, like, when people hear me talk about Ohio State, they feel like I come from a biased standpoint. But, like, I, I don't think I do. Like, yes, I'm going to talk my team up and everything, but everything I said is true when I just talked about Ohio State. The roster, the the, the outlook of the receiver. JSN is the top three wide receiver, period, point blank. Put him at one, put him at two, put him at three. I don't care. He's the top three wide receiver going into the season. He's a He's a – Somebody who they think if we didn't pick a quarterback to win the Heisman, the two most common names to pop up have been Will Anderson from Bama and Smith Najigba from Ohio State. 
People have Travion. Some people have Travion Henderson being that guy. We got th- three deep at running back. Uh, Ryan Day said we're going to put all three of them out there. So and we're going to look to run the ball early, which we know if Ohio State gets the run game going, it's a wrap because if we're running the ball at will, it opens up for those big plays for what the seven wide receivers that we have from just slinging at the ball all over the field. I'm concerned about tight end, but whatever. We don't really use tight ends like that anyway. So it is what it is. You you just don't think it's going to be close. Like you you find this game to be a, a blowout. Well, I mean, I mean, Notre Dame's got a quarterback making his first career start essentially in the shoe with five scholarship receivers available to him and just a lot of change. Like it's really Marcus Freeman's like I know he coached the bowl game, but this is really his first career game as a head coach, like where he's coming in and starting a season with his program and just feels like a lot to ask of Notre Dame to be competitive against a team that has that much talent in Marcus Freeman's first game, which is a shame because like some people you could look at it as whenever Ryan Day officially moves on, like is this almost like kind of an audition for Marcus Freeman? And like I hope they don't look at it like that because I think Marcus Freeman's going to be hugely successful in Notre Dame. I just don't think it's going to happen today like or this weekend. And I, I just think Ohio State's probably way too good. And I, I kind of worry about Notre Dame they are one where it's like, okay, if they get punched in the mouth in the mouth early, things could really spiral in a hurry. Like, you know, a young quarterback who hasn't played a lot starts forcing throws and all of a sudden you throw a pick and Ohio State's in the red zone again and all of a sudden seven becomes 14, 14 becomes 28, and all of a sudden the game's over and it's and there's seven minutes left in the first half. And so that's what I worry about with Notre Dame is just I worry about how how they're going to be able to score more so than I worry about their defense. You know, Ohio State's going to get what they're going to get offensively, and I think that Marcus Freeman knows that deep down. I just think that I worry about offense or Ohio State's offense being get, given easy opportunities because Notre Dame panics a little bit if they get behind early. Now, if Notre Dame scores first, then I'll probably – my antenna will raise a little bit, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But if Ohio State scores first and gets off on the right foot, I don't think they should have any problem. They should win this game by three touchdowns. And – I mean, if I'm Ohio State and I'm standing at, at midfield before the game starts and I win the coin flip, like, I want the ball. Like, I'm going down. You've got a bunch of young guys over there that haven't experienced this level of football. I'm like, we're going to take the ball. We're going to go shove it down your throat. We're going to score, and we'll see how you answer. And I just don't think Notre Dame can answer that right now. Maybe later in the year after they've gained some experience, they've been through some stuff together. But it's essentially a new program with a fresh start with some significant like some significant disadvantages i mean i mean i've said five scholarship receivers like i'll say it again like this is a national power playing with five scholarship receivers that's enough for one five wide formation like and if someone gets hurt that formation is out it's gone you're done you can't run it anymore yeah so we'll see i just i think ohio state's just got too much and then as notre dame kind of gets healthy um if notre dame kind of gets healthy then then we'll see. Yeah, and I know their best offensive lineman. Uh there's some what there, there's some skepticism whether he's able to play or not. And I know it's supposed to be a loaded offensive line at Notre Dame too though, but I mean yeah, I, but like you can I only I look at the young guys at Ohio State like and I'll say this again our defense was not that good last year but we were st- we had some freshmen that we had high expectations for like like when you come in and I know Jack Sawyer was what a top five player in the country. Um, on some boards, he was number one. But you know, so many recruiting 
uh, it's so many recruiting uh, modules now. Like, might be one here, might be three here, might be five here. He's a top five player in the country coming out of high school. Didn't play his senior year. You know, COVID had the knee injury or whatever. But when I look at, like, Jack Sawyer another year, I look at, there's expectation that Zach Harrison finally shows us who Zach Harrison was supposed to be. Because, mind you, remember, we went from, Joey Bosa to Nick Bosa to Chase Young to Zach Harrison. Zach Harrison was supposed to be the heir apparent of the newly found DEU uh, to Chase Young. And we just haven't seen it. And so based on expectation, I think Zach Harrison, he needs to have a big game. I think he needs to have a big year, right? Like this is a guy who we've seen coming in. And at some point we're like, oh, he'll be the next guy taken in the top 10 as a defensive end for Ohio State. And he just hasn't played up to that standard. Um, um, so far, even like Denzel Burke, Cam Martinez, Cameron Brown, like you look at all our DBs and you're like, by the end of the year, like Denzel Burke was a dude, like he's the dude in the secondary this year where, you know, we're in the conversation to be DBU, but we always send a first round guy and he's the conversation of like, he's a sophomore this year, but he's supposed to be the guy. He's the next Okuda or Ward or Lattimore, whatever you want to call him. He's supposed to be the leader that Cameron Martinez is the Damon Arnett of this, like Cameron Brown is, you know, the Garyon Conley of this defense. Like, I think we have a similar secondary to that year when we had, it was like Okuda, Arnett, and Conley. What was our three corners? I think this is very similar right here. And so I have expectations because they improved over the year. And that's what has my hopes up of like, okay, if we can stop the pass, we'll be able to stop a lot of teams. A little nervous in the trenches, but I see Jack Sawyer got bigger. Zach Harrison got bigger. And we have a new defensive coordinator. I think our defense just kind of got played out. Um, and so bringing in Jim Knowles, who had one of the best defenses at Oklahoma State, and when you think about it, I think you could look at it two ways. I look at it as when you have one of the best defenses in the Big 12, in the conference that doesn't play defense, I think you have a pretty damn good defense because we've, we've known the, the Big 12 to essentially just score. Just score, just score. High powered offense. Carried by defense, too. That's another thing like that people don't realize. Oklahoma State was carried by defense last year. You know, Gundy's got the reputation for these high powered offenses. That's not how they won games last year with uh at Oklahoma State. Jim Knowles' defense was the strongest unit on the field for that team ever since. And that's week. not something you're used to hearing in the Big Twelve. Like that's where it's high powered offense. It's fifty one to forty eight type of games. It's touchdown after touchdown. So that's why I say bringing him in, bringing a fresh guy, and all we hear about from the players, and I know the players are never supposed to speak ill on their coach, but everybody just feels like, man, this is a a a, a fresh start defensively. Like, and I've they've been hitting, like they've been hitting in practice a lot more than they're used to. Some of the vets have been like, man, we've been popping each other a lot more than we're used to. We've been practicing in pads a lot more than usual. We've been doing hitting drills a lot more than usual. So I think last year, like, Ohio State got punched in the mouth by Oregon and then turned around and got punched in the mouth again, even worse, by Michigan, right? And I think everything from – it's not about the Oregon game. It's about losing to Michigan. I think they got a chip on their shoulder. I think they're hungry. I think they want to just roll through their schedule. You're going to get a little confident. You're going to be 7-0 and and play that Maryland team, and it's tough to get up. It's 12 o'clock game on the Big Ten Network or something, and you kind of – you don't cough it up, but early you don't look as good. We know those top teams always have one of those. Like you, you play Maryland, you play Rutgers, who's a team who they got enough talent where they can scare you for a little bit. It's 12 o'clock. You know it's on the Big Ten Network. Only your fans and Big Ten fans are watching this game. And you kind of fall asleep and you have to wake up. Ryan Day has to come in and get interviewed at halftime and say, we're playing horrible. This isn't acceptable. 
And then boom, we smack them in the mouth for the second half and take off. So we are going to have one of those games. Ohio State does every year. Uh, sometimes we come on the wrong end and lose, and that's where we end up 11-1 and one and need to win the Big Ten Championship. Um, but I just – I look at this team, and I'm like, bro, there's really – there's there's three, maybe four teams in the country that could play with us, and I don't think Notre Dame is one of them, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, I'm looking at the three and maybe four. I, I'm looking at Utah, Georgia, Bama, obviously Georgia, Bama, Utah, and I'm still – because we got punched in the mouth last year, I know Michigan wants to build on. They don't want to get blown out by Ohio State. They, but it's a, it's in the shoe this year. And so that makes it a little different, too. It's a home game. Um, but outside of that, bro, maybe Clemson. But we got to see there's a lot of questions around Clemson. Not a lot of teams I can see really being able to play with Ohio State. I know conference play always plays a factor. And Penn State likes to play as good no matter how much better we are than them. And so does Michigan State. But some of the, the big games that we have are at home. We play Iowa at home. We play Michigan at home. I think we play Michigan State at home. We play. Do we play West? I think we play Wisconsin on the road, which is a little nervous. Or we might play Michigan State away because we never usually play them and Michigan. It's a home and away every year. So I think we play. But we our first six game, our first five or six games are home games too. How Ohio State was able to finesse that schedule, I have no idea. But we got eight home they games. Go, they got to go to Penn State, to Michigan State. And then they've got Wisconsin. Wisconsin's in the shoe. So we got Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan at home. We go to Penn State, who I think we're superiorly better than this year. I don't think this – I think Penn State loses uh, the first week of this. I, I think they lose – will they play Friday? I was really hoping there was a road game to Purdue on there. I was hoping. I thought that oh. would have been competitive. Can't go back there. Don't, don't no. want to go back there. Don't want to go back to that time because that was a rough time for me when they smacked us in the mouth with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I just I don't think there's a lot of teams that can play with us, and I'm supposed to feel like that. The rest of the country feels like that. A lot of people think we can win the national championship or at least be there and, and be competitive at the very least. And if Ohio State could get to – if the expectations they could get to the national championship and be competitive, then they definitely have an opportunity to win when you look at the talent. So – Enough Anything about winning it is failure. I, I, but that's got to be the expectation, right? Like we've gotten there under Ryan Day. You know, any you, you got to win it. Like uh, when you get there again, you got to win it. Ur- every coach has gotten this one. Urban Meyer got us one. Jim Trestle got us one. Jim Trestle got us there multiple times. Uh, Urban Meyer got us there. We would have went to the national championship his first year if we weren't sanctioned on playing in a bowl game. We probably wouldn't have won, but we would have made it there. We went undefeated with Braxton Miller at quarterback. We went and won the national championship the next year when Braxton Miller got hurt with our third string, finally got down to our third string quarterback on the back of Ezekiel Elliott. We get there again. Uh, we got there with Ryan Day, what, two years ago? Yeah, it was two years ago during that COVID year. You can say what you want. Ohio State smacked Clemson in the mouth, proved they deserved to be there, proved there wasn't a team better than us outside of Alabama. Uh, regardless of the schedule we played, when it was time to prove to everybody that we deserved to be there, we did. And then we just got smacked in the mouth, but there was nobody beating Bama that year. Like that that office was ridiculous. It just it wasn't nobody messing with Bama that year. Like in in a national championship setting, it wasn't nobody playing with them. So before we close out, uh, real quick, I mean, we talked about Nebraska a lot longer than I thought we would. So before we close out, I want you to give me your Heisman winner, and I want you to give me your player to watch, your one player that you're intrigued to watch throughout this season. Uh, yeah, so I think Stroud's going to win the Heisman. I thought he was going to get close, or I thought he had a chance to win it last year. Um, but I think he'll win it this year. He'll 
you know, you mentioned the soft schedule, which means he's going to put up gaudy numbers. Uh, they're going to, or I wouldn't say soft schedule. Let's say home friendly schedule. They have their big yeah, games. Home. Home. Let's yep. like I like soft often gets you know misconstrued. So I'll say that he has a lot of big games at home. So they'll probably he has a really good unit of talent around him. It's a quarterback award. So you know I think he's going to win it. I thought he almost was. I thought he was almost going to have the numbers to do it last year. Uh, so if he plays enough and Ohio State plays enough decently close games, then he should win it. I know he's the favorite, so like, yeah, like, look at me go, like, real hot take guy over here. The favorite's gonna win the Heisman Trophy. Um, like, that's he's my pick before the season starts, and um, I mean, I just I have a hard time seeing anyone produce that level. I think there's almost gonna be maybe a fatigue around Bryce Young too. It's so hard to win it twice. You have to be so much clear cut better than everybody yeah. else to win it twice. And, and I mean, I don't think that there's any world where he can statistically outperform C.J. Stroud to the level needed to win it again. Yeah. So And so he's my pick. If you told me someone else won it, like someone – because, you know, Burrow opened like 60-1 to 1 or something the year he won it. And we've seen guys kind of come out of nowhere here and there to be contenders for this trophy. So if you told me someone else – there's two guys that I'm going to kind of keep an eye on one, one of them. I don't think their team can win enough games for it to happen, but so I'll start with him. I think Will Levis is interesting. He's got, he's going to have a narrative and he has like, he reminds me so much of Burrow. Like he reminds me so much of Burrow. I mean, think, I mean, when you think about it, you know, Levis was kind of mid last year had he threw the most interceptions in the, in the sec, and Burrow didn't have that statistic, but they both just have a moxie and like a swagger about them that they carry. And he lost four of his top five receivers. His running back suspended four games. If they can navigate and win some games early and, and be ranked and he has a good start, he's already been talked about as a first round quarterback. Like we've seen talent jumps, like seismic talent jumps from some mm-hmm. quarterbacks in recent years. He has all of the tools to be that dude. Like, he has every single tool there. He's got a rocket of an arm. He can really run. He's a physical player. I just – and he's – and then he's got – he's got that just, you know, that intangible quality where he can be the face of a program and they'll just win anyways. Like, I mean, he can put a target on his own back and they'll win anyways. I just don't think he can win it unless they beat Georgia and Lexington and go to an SEC championship. Because if they do that, they've done something that that program has literally never done. And at that point, it's like he has to be in New York. That's the only way they, that's the only way it happens. He has to be in New York at that point. So I do I think it's going to happen? No. Is it something that I'm going to quietly keep an eye on? Yes, because they play in the SEC East where, I mean, you beat Florida and Tennessee and their SEC West games this year against Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And, like, you know, you're not catching the top teams in the West this year. Like, those are games yeah. – those are games you should probably have a really good shot in. So if they can somehow get rolling and he can perform and cut the turnovers down and everything I've heard out of Lexington is that he's been absolutely phenomenal. So like he's one I'm going to keep an eye on. And then the other one I'm going to pay attention to, I'm going to watch Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. Like I'm really curious because the ACC season outside of Clemson is pretty weak. Um, you know, Miami, we suspect has a much more formidable coaching staff. When he played last year and finally took the job over, he was really, really good. 
a lot of people seem to like Miami this year. And if Miami wins the ACC and goes 11 and one and some, and beats Clemson in a conference championship game or something like that, like that's another guy that could be there. And when I look at guys to watch, I'm just looking at guys who can get there. Cause if you get there, then you in some sense have gotten close to winning the award. Mm-hmm. And so that those are the types of guys that I'm paying attention to. And I think that's more in the 50 to 60 to one range of guys. I think Van Dyke's actually like 35 to one. But like those are guys I'm paying attention to. And then a third one, if Utah goes undefeated, like if Utah goes undefeated and gets in the playoff, I think Cameron Rising has a decent chance to be a finalist. He was really good last year and their identity is run the ball and play defense. Like it's almost the inverse of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. But he didn't get enough credit for stabilizing that program after the whole Charlie Brewer thing. The transfer from Baylor didn't work out and they lost to BYU and all that stuff. And he came in and immediately stabilized them and turned them into a Rose Bowl team. And they went and and that Rose Bowl game was so weird because there were so many people out. But I mean, he played really well in that game, too. So yeah. he's another and he's like way, way down the board. But I think that he's one that I could at least see getting there. Those are three quarterbacks that I could see getting there. I'm not going to give you the off the radar wide receiver or something like that that probably has no shot of getting there. Yeah. So when it comes to Heisman, <clears throat> uh, uh, damn it. I'm going CJ Stroud. Uh, I just, bro, it's, it's just, yes, he's the favorite. We're not, but I mean, anything else is a hot take. It's a quarterback, it, it's a quarterback it's award quarterback. more often than not. Like, it I is. mean, every player I just gave you is a quarterback. I just took yeah, a handful it's, of quarterbacks. It's a quarterback award. And like you said, like, it's, it's going to be tough for Bryce Young to repeat. He already won it. Um, CJ Stroud has all the weapons. Like, I mean, you're talking about six, seven receivers, running backs, catching out the backfield. Um, I think he's going to do a little more with his legs. Nothing crazy. No, not Justin Fields like, but he's going to do a little more with his legs and things like that. So I just think CJ Stroud, I don't think there needs to be a lot said. I think the expectations for this to be at the end of the year, probably the best offense, uh, in the country, um, carrying that into the big 10 championship game, carrying that into the college football playoffs. So I, I, I'm with CJ Stroud. And then uh, the last thing, a player to watch, player that I'm intrigued to watch, don't know why, new, newfound love for a player, Drake May. Uh, and this was before, you know, he, he put on that show. I know it was a show against a depleted FAMU team, but he threw for what, three, three almost 400 yards, five touchdowns, spread the ball. I think that connect, he, he's a hell of a quarterback, four-star quarterback, for, uh, previously committed to Alabama. Uh, left Alabama or decommitted from Alabama to go to North Carolina. Part of me thinks that had a lot to do with NIL and opportunity to start. And I have a theory that he finds himself back in Alabama next year. That's just me. Uh, I think he went somewhere where he had an opportunity to start I, this year. Yeah, I'll shoot that theory down. Yeah. I'm just saying, I just, I just, it, it's not, it's just a possibility, but uh, I think I look at North Carolina, got some weapons. They got one of the better receive one of the, Five best receivers in the country, Josh Downs. Uh, he put that on display against FAMU. I think playing in the ACC, there's not a lot of tough defenses that they're going to find. And I think Drake May is going to put up some numbers. Not where he's a Heisman candidate, just a guy to watch. Like, yeah. just, you know, if it's, you know, those 12 o'clock games, is not interesting. Ohio State, obviously, if Ohio State plays, I'm going to watch. But we didn't blew out, uh, you know, Rutgers early or something. And North Carolina's in a good game. Like, I He'll he'll be somebody I want to watch when when Ohio State's not on TV and there's not a top tier game on uh, to watch instead. Drake Drake May in that North Carolina office is somebody I, I, I feel I'm like 
Yeah, I feel like the, I feel like he may get more notoriety when they when like when a school like because I think they host Notre Dame this year, so like that's more like I mean if no if North Carolina finds a way to win that game in Chapel Hill, he likely played well, and that's like okay, like you know even if it's not this year, it's like all right, like let's pay attention to this guy going into next year. So yeah, I think he has. I think he has like, and I know it's against FAMU, but you here's the thing: when you watch those blowout games, it's pay attention to the mechanics pay attention to the throws he made like it's not about oh what'd you think he was gonna do against fam you yeah 100 but it's like details like it's the detail stuff yeah he could have the stats i expect him to have the stats but it's some of the throws he made it's it's the ball placement that he had like this dude can play like this dude was committed to alabama like let's just put it that way like this is a four-star guy who was committed to alabama north carolina at, at the college level has had some pretty good quarterbacks the, the past few years with mitch trubisky and uh, what's his name? <laughs> Just got drafted. Why? Why did lost his Sam name? Howell. Yeah, Sam, Sam Howell. Howell. Like they—they they were good college quarterbacks. They were really good college quarterbacks. So, you know, I think he follows suit in that. I think he goes to the NFL. I think he's a guy we could be looking at—a first-round guy, depending on what the quarterback situation looks like in the NFL. I think he could be a first-round guy uh, when his time comes. And you know, if if Saturday was any indication of what we can expect from him moving forward over the next couple of years, then I think, you know, I'll probably hit on that. Not that it's a hot take. This is a four-star guy who was committed to Alabama. If you could go to Alabama and play quarterback, you could almost go anywhere. So it's not like, oh, this guy going to the first round is a hot take. I ain't saying he'll be the number one quarterback, best quarterback in the country. But And we know North Carolina has, like, a high-power offense as of recent. They always got a really good receiver. They always got a pretty decent running back. So – I just he's somebody I'm intrigued to watch. Like, and then after watching him against FAMU and just seeing his individual performance, I think North Carolina was underwhelming a little bit or over over overwhelming a little bit as far as like they took a while to really pull away from FAMU, especially with missing 25 scholarship players and, and seven people on the offensive line. Like I thought it was gonna be a blowout early. But obviously the talent, the, the Drake May and the connection to the wide receivers overtook everything, and that's why they were able to put up almost 60 points. So that's my guy. So before we go, uh, give me your guy that, that you're willing to watch. Give me one guy, damn it. You gave me three Heisman candidates. Give me one guy you want to watch. Jeez. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, from a personal perspective, I'm really – like I'm intrigued by watching Jackson Dart. Uh, I mean – you know, to be that highly sought after in high school, to be that highly sought after in the portal. And, you know, it's kind of your show now. And, like, he's going to be at Ole Miss playing in an offense that's supposed to be super quarterback friendly. He's supposed to be uh, – and he's supposed to be, you know, this super great quarterback. I'm just – I'm interested in, I'm interested to watch how it goes because, you know, I look at it through a real person's lens and not, you know, a fanatical lens – I don't expect him to be phenomenal right away because he is a 19 year old quarterback and there are growing pains that come with that. Yeah. But I expect to see some of the throws where like he makes a throw against Troy on Saturday where you're just like, okay, whoa, like that's what elite arm talent and elite quarterback play is supposed to look like. I understand you may not do that consistently for another year and a half, but I just want to see the flashes and I'm just, I'm intrigued to watch multiple of these transfer portal teams like that just have so many guys that are poor. Like I'm interested, I'm interested to watch Zach Evans. Like, I mean, he hasn't, he wasn't leaned on at TCU. Like why, like, why was he not? He averaged over yeah. 70 yards a carry. And as soon as he got in the portal, all the big boys came calling. So 
And well, he, you and me were high on Zach Evans anyway. Like, we knew. Uh, yeah, like I knew. Like I was just like when he signed, I was like, oh, God, they got the best running back in the country. Uh, but like, remember, he was kind of a head case. That was the problem was coming out of high school. Remember, because like it was it was a possibility like Ohio State was on him hard. Like they wanted Zach Evans hard. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of became a head case at, at his senior year of high school. <clears throat> and I think that's when everybody backed off. And then we had got Travion Henderson anyway. So it was kind of like, oh, we don't really need Zach Evans. And yeah, I'll go bold. I'll go bold prediction. He wins SEC player of the year this year. I could see it. I could see it. Like he's going to, he's going to, like, he's going to win the SEC quote unquote rushing title by a lot. And Ole Miss is going to go nine and three or 10 and two, and that'll be enough. Yeah, I could see it. So, so you gave your players to watch. You gave your hot, your five Heisman candidates. You, you, you come from a betting perspective too. So, with that being said, make sure y'all go follow at OTBM Bets. Uh, Walker and Kenneth pretty much run the account. They give out their daily bets. They're big into soccer and baseball as well. Got to so be right now. Bets. No choice. Yeah, you got to be. But it's football season now, so yeah. they're going to be launching their plays every weekend. Um, I know Walker's. Prop, you you dropping your plays for college football for the week. Uh, so tomorrow. yeah, Thursday. So I'm thinking Thursday probably. So tomorrow midday, we're recording this on Wednesday. So tomorrow midday, I'll probably have out two different cards. I'll probably have a list of everything that I played from a futures perspective. So just over the course of the entire season, something to keep an eye on. Like I think I even have something as far as like I'm betting who's going to win the MAC. So like I mean, just stuff that'll give you, you know, stuff. It's going to be. Small unit stuff that you can keep an eye on throughout the year, potentially larger payouts at the end of the year. And then I'll release just later on that afternoon. Hell, I may do it at the same time. Um, just my straight up week one, like, you know, here's who I'm playing against the spread on the total, whatever else. I'll release yeah. that stuff also on Thursday because I've got stuff in the games Thursday night and I want to go ahead and get that out there. And if I get it out Thursday and lines start moving, uh, hopefully I can get the people who follow and the people who will bet it the best value possible going into Saturday. So, yeah, 100%. So as always, bro, I appreciate you for jumping on. Uh, this won't be the last time you're on. This is college football season. This is really our cup of tea, especially college football. Yeah. Like I'm more, I lean more to college. And NFL. I love the NFL too. Don't get me wrong. I just love football season as a whole, but college just, and some people are like, yeah, because you're a fan of a team who's pretty much great year in and year out. Yeah, that's probably right. It might be a bad product for a lot of people, but my team got it. My team in the conversation every year. So it's not a bad product in uh, in Columbus. So. My, my NFL team ain't always in the conversation. Right. We like to put expectations on us, but we ain't always in that conversation the same way. So I think that's why I love it. I was just born and bred to be an Ohio State fan. So I appreciate you for uh, tuning in. Everybody follow me at Up in Flames Pod on Instagram, as you see below, at Mo underscore Cheese 15 on Twitter, as you see below. And on that note, Up in Flames is 